Welcome back to Church Public. Thank you for tuning in today. I really appreciate it and appreciate your support. Today we are talking about poor Dr. Seuss, who apparently now is racist and must be canceled. In addition, we'll talk about the border crisis, or is it, and a couple other things that are going on in the news. Thanks for tuning in, and here we go. All right, well, welcome back. As I mentioned, poor Dr. Seuss gets canceled, basically just like everybody else who's getting canceled at this point. So six titles have been pulled from the Dr. Seuss catalog, citing insensitivity and racism. I don't know about you, but I can say for sure, I grew up on Dr. Seuss, I love Dr. Seuss, I read all of my children Dr. Seuss, and I, in fact, there have been many studies proving that reading Dr. Seuss books to your children and having your children read Dr. Seuss books helps with language, comprehension, speech, a bunch of other things in childhood development. And I think that's fantastic. We should be encouraging children to speak well, to read well, to listen well, to comprehend what they're reading and talking about and, and thinking about and increasing all of that. But unfortunately, because he wrote books in the late 30s, 40s, 50s, that's, that's 1930, 1940, 1950, and included some content that by 1930, 1940, 1950 standards was fairly commonplace, literally across the board. Unfortunately, by our standards today, he must be canceled, just like others, Jefferson, Lincoln, Washington, Paul Revere, et cetera, et cetera. We've talked about many of those in previous episodes, so you can go back and check out why apparently we hate them now, too. Uh, again, this whole thing of canceling people based on things that they did decades ago, uh, I think the earliest book that was canceled in this circumstance was 1937, so, I mean, we're talking 80-something years ago at this point. I, I it, This is just, it's exhausting because people, like, 80-something years ago, the world was slightly different than it is today. There are things we didn't know 80 years ago. 200-and-something years ago, when the country was founded, there were things we didn't know. Now we know more. Now we act differently because, hopefully, as we move on through humanity and through learning and through wisdom, we get better, not worse. To pretend that the things of the past did not exist is not a great place to live. The things in the past happened. We should learn about them. We should learn why they're either good or bad and grow from that learning rather than just eliminating them from memory, literally in some cases burning them, getting rid of them. The publisher said you cannot publish them anymore. Now, of course, this has caused the backlash of people buying his books, Dr. Seuss's books, um, in mass and, and the price skyrocketed, which I... I actually think is great. I, I, again, I think they're great books. Growing up in San Diego, there's even a local college that has a library dedicated to Dr. Seuss or Theodore Geisel. And it's a really crazy looking library with this, it looks kind of like a spaceship. But anyway, I visited it a bunch of times and Dr. Seuss was a great part of my childhood. I hope that it was a great part of my kids' childhood. We'll find out when they're older. But it's... It's been a staple in so many lives because it's interesting. I mean, again, most of the characters in most of the books that I read aren't even human. The Lorax 
and the Who's and uh, the little, there's all kinds of different little people that, again, aren't even human. So to th it's just, it's really hard um, to have any kind of sympathy for, for getting rid of fantastic and creative authors like this. Um, and so what that, what that led me to, I, I was reading through, um, I was reading through the Bible and, uh, I, I just came across this verse and I, I think this is, I think this is helpful for us. Maybe, maybe we'll, we'll look at this and, and maybe this will be helpful for you too. So this is out of James. James is a great book. If you're looking for, uh, some encouragement and maybe a little, kick to, uh, to, to get you started and, and figure out kind of what's going on in your own heart and, and what's going on with you. And so this is James 3. And I'm just going to read James 3 too, because I, I think this is appropriate for where we are as a culture and, and some of the things that, that we apparently expect out of every human now, right? So this is James 3 too. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault, in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. So I just thought that was an interesting verse. Do you think that you are perfect? Do you think that you never make any mistakes? And if there's even the slightest little inclination that maybe I'll talk about myself, right? I won't talk about you. I'll talk about me. If there's any part of me that says, hey, maybe I'm not entirely perfect and maybe there are mistakes that I make, which is true, I will freely admit then you can't say you're perfect and you can't say that anything else is perfect. And, and so it's really tempting to look at other people and judge them on all of the things that they're doing wrong. And especially to look back in history and judge people in history based on things that they did wrong that culturally, again, 80 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 1,000 years ago, the culture was slightly different. And to judge them based on current cultural standards, it it's it's not only wrong just morally because the morality comparison doesn't make sense, but it's just ridiculous, like flat ridiculous to judge uh, an 80 year old culture, a 150, a thousand year old culture based on today's standards is just ridiculous because it's it's not the same. It's never going to be the same. And, and yet we keep doing this and we keep holding people to this standard. And I think we don't look at ourselves enough and say, well, is there anything wrong with me? Is there anything I need to change? Is there anything going on in my life that is important that I need to go, oh, hey, there's some things I need to work out in myself. And maybe I shouldn't be being as frustrated with other people for things they've done, especially things they've done in the past. Because the problem is, once you start this roller coaster, this really carousel is a better, a better illustration, right? Because it just keeps going around and around. And you may be the one complaining about somebody else today, but I guarantee you, if you start that carousel, you're going to be on the receiving end at some point. Because again, as James reminds us, this isn't even like pointing out a truth that we didn't know we know that we don't always make the right decision. Like if we have a moment and we're quiet and we think about it, of course, we don't always make the right decision. We know that. So at some point, the thing you did wrong is going to come back to haunt you too. This circular firing squad, to use another analogy, it will come for everyone if, if we end up being in this, in this thing, which, which is why, again, I'm such a big fan of God 
the Bible, his grace, because the grace says, yeah, you do make mistakes. That's why we have a savior named Jesus who covers over our mistakes and who goes, I know you make mistakes, but I want to help you make less mistakes. And I want to help you live not only according to your own desires and feelings and things that tend to lead you astray. I want you to live by my spirit, my word, the actual truth, not your truth, but the truth in order to grow into who I actually made you to be, which is better than you are now. And and I love that so much. It's such a message of hope rather than this message of, if you make any mistake at all, you are canceled forever. We will burn your books. We will strike you out of the face of history and you will no longer exist in humanity. And that's just a sad and lonely and terrifying place to be. It's so hopeless in opposition to this hope that we have in Christ that not only are we not canceled, but we are lifted up into the house of God, into the family of God, and not only for this life, but for the life to come. Like, man, what a great message of hope. I didn't mean to start preaching, but sometimes I just do because this is what we're doing. Like this faith that we have is so much greater than just the wackiness that is happening in this world right now. But that's what we're talking about. And that's what we talk about at Church Public. We want to talk about that there's some wackiness going on in the culture. But like Paul said in Acts 17, we need to look at the culture. We need to understand what's going on in the culture. And we need to understand how to talk about it, how to relate it to actual truth, not just invented imaginary standards that don't correlate to anything real or anything lasting for that matter. And as believers, we really need to learn how to do that. So that's why I'm here. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. You can check out more at churchpublic.com. If you want to help, churchpublic.com slash support is the place to go and check us out on all the socials if you want to. So let's get to some news. All right, we've got some news going on today. Um, $15 minimum wage. I mean, wow. The minimum wage, it's such a hot topic right now. You're hearing it probably all over the main news. and, uh, and, And you may think, yeah, $15 sounds great. I wish I had started at $15. I can say, I wish I had started at $15. I did not start at $15 an hour when I started working a little bit ago. And it sounds really good. But the problem is, it's very narrowly focused thinking and in practice it doesn't work so here's here's why $15 an hour doesn't actually work here's a couple of things it begins with this bad assumption it begins with this assumption that I I mean I don't know if you I, I grew up on some cartoons and I grew up on DuckTales and and even if you're a Disney fan at all you may have heard of Scrooge McDuck and Scrooge McDuck of course was this guy who had this giant vault thing on the top of his mansion that was of course filled with gold coins because who doesn't have a vault filled with gold coins on the top of their mansion and his favorite pastime was diving into this vault and swimming which of course defies the laws of physics but as a kid fantastic who doesn't want to have a vault on the top of your mansion filled with gold coins that you can go and swim in at any moment sounds amazing to me right so I, the assumption here is that every business in America has their vault full of gold coins that they just love to swim in at night. And if only we could tap into that vault and the, the Scroogey businesses would just give that money to the people that need it, then everybody would have enough money and everybody would have enough stuff and everybody would have enough things. 
Now, of course, as you're hearing this, maybe you're starting to understand. If you're a business person, you already understand. If you know any business people, you already understand that there's no truth in any of that at all. That's a cartoon. It's a fairy tale. It's not real. Real business people are living by the skin of their teeth. Most of them, of course. There are some people that are immensely rich. Most of the business people are not in that category, especially during this low economic time, especially in states that have been shut down for months or even now almost a year, they're barely making it. So to say, hey, just open up your money vault and pour that money out into the community, they're like, I don't have a money vault. I'm almost on bankruptcy myself because I can't open my business and I can't make money. So now you're going to say, I need to raise the amount that I'm going to pay every person in my organization. You can see how in just Economy 101, Econ 101, those numbers don't add up. And the problem is, the, this just eliminates the actual reality of how wages are calculated. Um, according to a couple of sources, there are two factors in wages. The first is the price people are willing to pay for a product. How much are you willing to pay? If a product is worth $10, then that is the price of a product. And so you can sell a product for $10. But if you have to pay a person $15 an hour, $20 an hour, then all of a sudden that product may not support the hiring of that certain amount of workers. Or what if the product is only worth $1, right? You go to the fast food place and you get a $1 cheeseburger and now you have a worker that is charging $15 an hour for their salary. You're gonna have to sell a whole lot of those $1 cheeseburgers to support that worker. And all of a sudden you can support less workers because your product is only selling for a certain amount. So that's just the first piece. That's the price people are willing to pay. The second piece is the market for labor. How many people can do a certain job? Are there a little or a lot? For instance, I've mentioned before, I'm a terrible golfer. However, if you are an amazing golfer, you can make a ton of money, but there are only a very small amount of people in the universe that are amazing golfers. So they earn this high wage. Now, if you look at somebody, as we mentioned, like fast food workers, basically anyone can be trained to flip a burger or to mop a floor or do those types of things. So the pool of employees that you have possible for that is a lot bigger and you're allowed to then pay them less because the pool of people is bigger and, and, and you can get into that. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, in 2017, there were around 80 million people in America working hourly wage jobs, but only about 2.3% of those were actually at minimum wage. Everyone else was above minimum wage because most people come in at minimum wage and then very quickly, uh, statistics show even in the first year, move above minimum wage. So the problem is when the government artificially raises this minimum wage and it doesn't let the market dictate based on the value of goods or the value of a certain position and how much that position can or should earn, when the government artificially says, hey, we're going to raise this, what it does is not elevate everyone to this higher level. That's the fallacy, the, the, the bad assumption that it's just not real and that's not really what happens. Instead, what happens is the people that were not good enough to be at that level already now have no jobs. So as Thomas Sowell puts it, 
the minimum wage is never what the government says it is. He says the minimum wage is actually zero. That's because if you were not good enough to make that $15 minimum wage already, all of a sudden now you make a zero wage. So it doesn't raise everybody to this $15 magical wage and then everybody has a living wage and then everybody is happy and everyone's living in this utopia, which again is what certain members of the left continually say. Instead, it raises the amount of people who have no job, which is bad for society because you want people to work to contribute to society and to be a part of society and so they can eat and feed their children, right? So as another statistic, the Congressional Budget Office just, I, I believe it was late last year, or maybe it was this year, I apologize for I don't have the date on that statistic, evaluated this $15 minimum wage plan and found that it would raise salaries for around 900,000 people. So that's good, right? 900,000 people get better salaries. However, the big caveat to this is it would actually put 1.4 million people out of work. So yes, you raise the wage for some people, but almost double the amount of people now don't have a job. That seems like a bad trade-off to me. Like, I, I, I feel like more people want to work at all than want to work not at all, right? It, 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 this, is, this is, doesn't help people. It really only hurts people when the government steps in and says, hey, we have to raise this wage. In practicality, in reality, it doesn't work. And the other thing that we haven't talked about is uh, what you can call automation or robots or self-checkout. How many stores have you been to lately that now have a self-checkout? Why do they have a self-checkout? Is it really easier? Is it safer because of all this virus stuff? Maybe, but I think there's a bigger reason. The bigger reason is self-checkers, the little robot machine that stands there and scans your thing, guess what they don't take? They don't take a wage. They don't require healthcare. They don't need sick days. So all of a sudden, you have this workforce that does all the work of a previous human, and you don't have to pay for a human. You don't have to deal with the, uh, the humans that are um, not dependable. And now you've automated out the human condition. So guess what? Those humans don't have a job. The people that could have been checking, the people that could have been helping in that situation don't have a job. Now, at the moment, because of robotics and automation and things, you can't apply that to everything, but you can apply it to certain things. And as you're even seeing in a lot of stores and in a lot of other areas, you're already seeing these things start taking place. So if you price out actually putting a human in a job, you're going. there's going to be a tipping point where all of a sudden, because you know computers keep getting cheaper, technology keeps getting cheaper and more abundant, there's going to be a tipping point there where companies are going to go, well, I can't afford to pay for a human anymore to work this job. I'm just going to get a robot to do it. I know that sounds like crazy sci-fi. If I had said that five years ago, 20 years ago, you would have said, this will never happen. This is ridiculous. But the reality is you see it. You go to the store and almost every store I go to now has like automated checkout. You don't have to talk to a human. You don't have to see a human. You just do the scanning thing and... The biggest reason for that is cost. Sure, there's an initial cost. Sure, there's some upkeep costs. But if you've looked at the price of healthcare lately, if you've looked at, the, and, and again, what we're talking about in terms of minimum wage, if that wage goes even higher, 
there's going to be a lot more people, up to 1.4 million people out of work just because of this. So um, again, you can check my math. You can go look for these figures. There's a lot of people arguing for $15 minimum wage, but I want you to understand the reality of this economy before you fully sign off on the feeling that, yes, I want people to have more money. Yes, I want people to have a better life. I believe those things too. However, that's not always the best situation and we really need to examine the full facts, the full range before we sign off on these things and go, oh yeah, that's a good idea. So that was the first thing. All right, second thing that I wanna talk about is the border crisis. The border crisis, you probably have heard of some of this. If you haven't, let's talk about it a little bit. The border crisis is going on on the border of America, I mean across. I mean, it's in California, it's in Texas, Arizona, New Mexico, um, and a bunch of other places. And basically the crisis is this. I, I mean, this is political. I have no way, no way to avoid that. Trump obviously ran his whole campaign on building a wall, and he built a lot of wall. At the moment, the wall has stopped being built. That's the new administration's perspective and their purview. Okay. Another point is they've said, the administration that is current has said, if you come, we'll give you health care, we'll give you jobs, we'll give you citizenship, basically without previous tests. And have, being married to a person who went through the actual immigration and citizenship process, I, I know the process and I, and, I, and I watched it and it's actually not that hard, but it is a process. And there are many people in America who have gone through the legal immigration process. This current administration is saying, basically, if you come and if you're in the country, then you can be a citizen, which is, I would say, in my opinion, a strange thing to say to a country, especially the country that is dealing with an economy that is not working very well and people who need jobs that are in the country already. But suffice to say that what has happened is there are a lot of people coming to the country now. In 2015 through 2017, the bar they set to say whether this was a problem or not was if a thousand people are coming into the country every day, that is a crisis point. That's a point where facilities are overwhelmed. The ability to vet whether it is a person who is wants good things and wants to actually be a functioning part of society or wants bad things. And we'll talk about some of the some of the bad things that are happening at the border in just a moment. So that's the bar that was set a few years ago around a thousand people. Right now, there's up to 4,000 people every day coming into the country illegally, crossing the border illegally. So the current administration was asked, hey, is this a problem? Like, is it a problem that this many people are coming into the country? And the, let me get the name here, the DHS Secretary Mayorkas, when asked if there was a border crisis, said no. And on Tuesday, President Biden, when asked if the border issues were a crisis, he said, quote, no, we will be able to handle it. Again, in, in previous areas, they've said that 1,000 people is too many, and now we're at 4,000. And the predictions, based on, on what is happening, like they're looking at who is literally coming up the, coming up the, the continent of, of North America from the bottom, how many people there are in caravans and things like that, it, it's going to escalate and probably exponentially how many people are coming in to the country. So... I would say that is a, a crisis. If you're not able to vet whether the person is a good person or a bad person, 
this is a problem. Now, here, here's where it comes into reality, right? Drugs, um, drug cartels, human trafficking, these are big problems. And these are big problems on the border. And unfortunately, a lot of the people coming in are connected to this. Sure, there are some people who just want a better life. I, I can fully comprehend that, and that is probably true. However, there are a lot of people who do not want that, and they are up to no good. There are some very bad drug cartels. There is a lot of human trafficking going on. I tried to research some statistics on human trafficking, and unfortunately, it's very difficult to get an accurate number because it is so secretive, and because the way people are literally bought and sold is very hard to track. One of the numbers I was able to find from the State Department in 2016 was 54,000. However, DHS and the University of Pennsylvania both say it may be upward of 325,000 people per year that are trafficked into America alone. That is an inordinate number. And most of them are women and children. This is a terrible, terrible problem. And to say, let's just open our borders and let anybody in and not check them and not see like, hey, are you in the country because you want to make the country a better place and you want to make your life a better place? Or are you in the country to do something that is terrible? I, 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 think, I think that's a valid question. I think that's something we need to wrestle with. So I just wanted you to have this information. And again, as we're looking at the culture and trying to figure out like what is best not only for this country, but for the world and what is best from a perspective of we want to love our neighbor. And if people are bringing in children and women just to sell them into slavery, like that's terrible. And we need to find a way to help with that and stop that. And unfortunately, I don't have a lot of great answers for that right now. But these are things that are actually happening and, and we need to know them. And, and when we hear these come up in bills and laws and regulations um, or, or the removing of regulations. We need to know what effects they have in this world. So uh, those were some things that I wanted you to know about. I, I know I've gone a little bit longer than normal. I did want to leave you with one positive because I feel like I'm always doing negative things. So uh, it's, it's just kind of a crazy world and we have to talk about the craziness. So we have to try to make sense of it in whatever way we can. So I wanted to leave you with one positive thing in California, in sort of the middle northern part of California, the Supreme court has given California another win and given the churches of California another win in Santa Clara County. The Supreme Court ordered that churches are allowed to have indoor church services. If you're in California, if you're in another part of, of the country, you may not even realize there are churches that still to this day, well now after this, but cannot meet inside because the government says they can't meet inside. And I just like that this is another win after uh, a month or so ago in Southern California, the churches were given a win that they can now meet inside. That comes a few weeks uh, after New York was given the opportunity that they also are allowed to meet inside. And so it's, I just think it is really important. It is really important to get together as believers. It's really important to build each other up as, as we seek after God. I don't think we can do this alone. We're not meant to do this alone. Throughout the Bible, we hear we're not supposed to be alone. And what a time. Like, And we need each other. We need each other to help and to just give each other hope and encouragement through some of this. 
like we just heard about some of this craziness that is going on. So again, thank you for tuning in and paying attention. Let me know if you have any questions. I look forward to hearing you. God bless. And as always, keep the faith.